0: Enjoy the horror fun, Doctor. And don't forget to watch the big giveaway afterwards. Why, Cock? Why? Do I need a reason? Mr. Cochran was right, you know. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children.
1: Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast.
0: But there's a better reason. You don't really know much about Halloween thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy.
1: The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Halloween, the festival of Samhain, the last great one took place
0: 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children.
1: As part of our throwback series, today we'll be looking at Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Starring... Tom Atkins, Stacy Nelkin, Ralph Straits, and Dan O'Healy. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace.
0: Sacrifices are part of our world. Our craft. Witchcraft. To us, it a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you be able to watch it.
1: Hello and welcome to the Rewire Movie Podcast. It's Gally in Glasgow.
2: Uh, Devlin in London. And for the first time ever, we also have...
3: Hello, yes, I'm Patrick. I'm from Leicester. I'm also living in London, though. But Devlin wouldn't allow me around his house tonight. Do you want me to introduce myself? Yeah, give us a little bit of a... a little bit of a process. Yeah, sure. I, uh... I've been trying to be part of this podcast for a while now, but unfortunately I've been working and not able to, to be part of the fun. But I've caught up with you guys. I've listened to all your previous recordings, which I've very much enjoyed the sound of your voices because uh, I've missed them. Because I went to university with um, Gally and Devlin back in the day. We used to w- listen, uh, watch films together, which was great. Um, I didn't have the basement, unfortunately, with you guys because I didn't live with you. But I used to enjoy going to the cinema. Um and now I work in film and TV. Mainly I organise extras, tell them what to do, look after them, get them in the scene and look after the continuity, which I've been doing all week with a load of Italians, which has been fun. And uh you guys talked about the kind of films you like. I feel that my tastes are slightly different because of my how I grew up. Mainly <laughs> I was brought up on disney i was a little bit more sheltered from hmm? adult films uh my well, mum and dad weren't very keen <laughs> not not blue movies not adult oh, you, like looked, that.
1: you hadn't you had good parents that's so <laughs> so you can say it <laughs> yeah. yeah but
3: like they were very conscious of showing me universal or pg or 12 films you know and but i do remember my dad one day It's like patrick come here i have got to show you something and he put on terminator just for you know the opening section is it terminator terminator 2 with the the war zone in the future it's like don't tell mum <laughs> it's like uh, at the time it was like a really serious teaser for me and I was immediately hooked and I think I've got my dad to thank for sci-fi my mum to thank for cartoons and Disney and then my grandma I just used to watch musicals with her like from the 50s and Doris Day and stuff so my family were a big influence on what I watched growing up and then not adult films, in the, in the crass sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember like when you become 15 trying to buy 18s at the video shop and things like that. Um, but this week, Devlin's Choice, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Mm. I hadn't seen it, Devlin. No? No, I've never seen it. <laughs> I was amazed to find out today how many Halloween films there were. I've only seen the first one, but that was years ago. So I'm on. Um, I'm a little lost in the history of the. I'll call it a franchise because I suppose. Oh, don't
1: don't say that, Patrick. I uh, read a review with Jamie Lee Curtis earlier in the week about the new one. She does not like the franchise word. Ah. She calls it a series of films. All right, fine. Yeah. But th- it's a franchise, though.
3: It, of course it is. Yeah, thanks for that, Devlin. That's a really good introduction for me. Uh, I, I can't see. I was excited, but I watched it and I'm ready to talk. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Gally, had you seen this?
1: Right. So in the previous episode, you would have heard me say that I'd seen Halloween 3. Unfortunately, I got it mixed up with Halloween 4. So uh, when I put this on, it was about 30 seconds in that I realized I'd never seen it. So I also had not seen this choice of yours, which makes me even more fascinated to know Devlin, why Halloween three season of the witch?
2: First up, I know that um, what we usually like to do on these things is, uh, especially you guys, you always say like, don't don't tip your hand too early, don't kind of you know, uh, don't open up by saying like, ah, oh, let's review this wonderful film that that we all love. Objectivity when it comes to films is obviously not something that actually exists, um, but I am gonna have to go out right at the start of this one and say that um i am currently doing this podcast in a silver shamrock novelties (laughs) t-shirt um i have a signed i have a signed picture of tom atkins in this film that i paid money for which is only the second time in my life i've ever done that and the other time was when i met george romero
3: that was recently right with tom Atkins? yes it was
2: it was this summer it's
1: why I knew you were going to pick it.
2: <laughs> a lot of the films that we look at are films that, that we, we liked when we were younger, but we maybe haven't seen in a while. I'm going to admit to you both right now that I watch Halloween 3 season of The Witch uh, every year. Brilliant. Um, okay. Halloween um, 3 was the first Halloween movie I ever saw. How come? Um, well, I think this happened a lot to, uh, to us when we were younger we've already looked at predator too, rather than looking at predator. And I think there's going to be other films later down the line where we end up looking at sequels before we look at the originals. And I'm I'm sure it's because when TV, um, when film distribution companies sell the rights to like major productions, they bundle them up with a whole bunch of smaller shittier films that they're just trying to sort of push into the black by, um, by flogging them to TV channels. Uh, As like riders almost so like this is a universal film Uh, i think it was universal that released this so let's say yeah they
1: distributed it
2: yeah let's say like in the late 90s which is probably around the time i saw this mid late 90s let's say bbc wanted to show mission impossible over christmas that's paramount i don't know whatever jurassic park doesn't matter um Universal would say you can have it, but you're also going to take these 10 shit films and you're going to play them a set amount of times. And it's a way for the production company and the distribution company to be able to write off costs of stuff, especially stuff that's perceived as being a failure, yeah. which this one definitely was. So this would have been shown on like BBC Two in the around mm-hmm. Halloween. Um, I knew of Halloween, obviously, because I guess everyone does. Michael Myers is you know one of the the kind of mount rushmore of of horror of recognizable horror icons so i mean even at that age i would have been like early middle teens probs um i would have known halloween uh, and i would have known that it was something that i probably wanted to watch but for whatever reason hadn't so i watched this instead and (laughs) uh and, and i loved it um it's just so strange it was later that i you know worked out that this was a John Carpenter movie and then went back and watched the original and then completely gorged on, on the whole John Carpenter back catalog. But um, yeah, this one's always kind of uh, stuck with me as being kind of my quintessential go-to Halloween film.
1: It's interesting, Devlin, that you would say that it's a John Carpenter film because he's, he's only the producer. I say only he's the producer and he does the score. Yeah. But as we go through the film, uh, I may highlight his fingerprints are all over this. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting that you said that because objectively this is not a John Carpenter film.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's uh, it's a Tommy Lee Wallace film. Tommy Lee Wallace uh, carved a bit of, it. he was the, uh, the production designer and editor on the original Halloween. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And he kind of went on to carve out a career as a bit of a kind of horror journeyman. He made, um, Fright night oh,
4: two right, yes which is,
2: which is decent, I like fright night 2. it's obviously yeah, yeah, no, no, it's got it's all right, it's no fright night, but few things are, and um he's also very famously the director of the um the It mini series with Tim curry
1: yes that's that's what I know him best from
2: he's a guy who was was within the uh, John carpenter inner circle, and um what's great is that a lot of the other um creatives from Halloween carried over to this. Most notably, of course, John Carpenter and uh, Alan Howarth uh, collaborating on the score, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot, but I'm going to go on record (laughs) as saying it is my favourite John Carpenter score.
1: Oh, that's controversial.
2: Yeah, that's my hot take
3: for today. I can't wait Um, to argue with you about that.
1: (laughs) <laughs> what did I say about showing your hand, Patrick? Oh and, uh, yes, uh,
3: Dublin did it. So I'm following. I
2: think it's fine. I think we can just put it all out there on this one. And uh, uh, Dean Cundey came across as cinematographer. Yeah, as well, I could not which, yeah.
3: believe Dean Cundey shot this. I, I still, I, I can't. I'm I mean, speechless again, Dean Cundey. Patrick,
1: come. I urge you to go and look at his no, filmography. He's done. He's done some. He's stuff. done one
3: of my favourite ever films, Roadhouse.
1: <laughs> Roadhouse. <laughs> um,
3: yeah.
2: And, and uh, Halloween and The Thing. and Even Jurassic so,
3: um, Park and Back to the Future. I couldn't... I, yeah. yeah, I couldn't believe it was him. Because, quote, well, we'll come to it, I'm sure. Well, for me, especially, I, I hadn't... I don't really know much about it at all. I was surprised mm. not to have Michael Myers in the title yeah. of Halloween. So I was really interested in... Well, it's quite admirable to take it in a whole different direction and try and... Yeah. do something different with uh Jamie Lee Curtis's series should we say um so for that i was kind of i was quite impressed that they they had the balls to do it but that was john carpenter right he that's that was yeah. his intention that's the only reason he wanted to be involved in it is to try something new
2: yeah the um the original film was funded by um a, a Syrian producer called Mustafa Akkad. um he's a really interesting guy like uh he dedicated years of his life to making these um, uh, big epic films about uh, Islam. He made a film about uh, Muhammad and he got into a lot of controversy for it and he had to um, go through a whole bunch of he had to petition governments and kingdoms and uh, uh, religious councils and stuff and um, he he managed to make these these grand epics while also he spent most of his his life producing um halloween movies okay and uh the first one was such a massive success on such a small budget uh was such a, a an influential and, and huge film that they wanted to rush a sequel out john carpenter felt that he'd finished his his film was a you know it was a little stat he wanted, i guess he likened it to psycho maybe like a mm-hmm. little kind yeah, of yeah. cheap efficient thriller um that was was a self-contained little unit but for a sequel he was asked to do it so he and his uh his producing and writing partner uh deborah hill turned out a draft for halloween 2 he didn't want to direct it at this point he was i believe already working on the thing so uh he got a guy called rick rosenthal to make halloween 2 rick rosenthal then came back to kill the series in halloween resurrection
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Trick or treat, motherfucker. Uh,
2: after that, and and they were, Carpenter was adamant. Like he'd already, he'd left Michael Myers alive at the end of Halloween. So he was certain to kill the fuck out of him and Dr. Loomis in Halloween too. He blew up the whole hospital. Um, But in order to appease the finances and to keep this going, he said, what if we do a series of uh, standalone anthology films under the Halloween Okay. Banner? Which I think it is something like, um, yeah, like a Tales from the Dark Side or a Twilight Zone.
1: Even if you looked at modern times now, American Horror Story, even the Scream series, where they've just taken a sort of anthology format, so you can do loads of stories under one umbrella of a name or a brand that you can associate with and that you know is good quality horror films. They were ahead of the time as far as their ideas, and what was what was interesting is. Compare Halloween to the Friday the 13th series. It took them, what, five films to finally branch away from, from just the stalking slasher that kills a bunch of teens. Halloween got their first mixed results, I would suggest, Evelyn. Certainly uh, in 1982, mixed results as far as the uh, audience yeah, feedback. It, it,
2: it, it did not go well. People knew what they wanted to walk into the cinema. So at this point, um, I mean, you'd say that Friday the 13th was, was an almost immediate turnaround cash grab. On the success of Halloween, it's no surprise. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Halloween was seventy eight, and by nineteen eighty, the cinemas were just full of slasher movies.
1: I had a question because out of the three of us, you are the you are the horror guy. Um, you see more horror films than myself and Patrick.
3: Yeah, you celebrate Halloween as though it was Christmas. Devin.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is it a fair assessment to say that the reason that Halloween three at the time wasn't successful is because that horror films at that point had kind of gone into the populace it's all about horror films a bit like 2018 where horror has now become this big big thing that everyone's into is it a case that people are you know treat it like a mcdonald's they just want to go back and have the thing that they expect
2: you know you can never really know what it's like back in the late 70s when these things break but yeah halloween was a was a full-blown crossover multiplex success and if you look at any film that has tried to tinker with the formula too much in sequels, you will see audiences rejecting it, at least a, a percentage of the audience rejecting it. And when they reject it, they reject it angrily. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it must have It must have been super weird. Much like, like you were saying, Patrick, that you sat down to watch a Halloween movie and
3: no Michael at Miles. no point...
2: Well, and, and then weirdly, you end up seeing the original film playing on a TV. Yeah,
3: then, yeah, yeah.
2: Which means yeah. that the the fake, the movie Halloween is a fake movie within the universe of this film.
3: But that also, I mean, that influence even in this to something like Scream 2, which you spoke about the other day, the other week as well, you know, when they're watching, uh, what's it called? Stab, the Stab series. Mm. And it, it's kind of that thing as well, which the self-referential, but also that uh, horror films are watched and celebrated at at Halloween. But I do think yeah, yeah. what you're saying about an audience, galley, I think people would have expected this to have had the, the anti-hero, uh, Michael Myers, whatever you want to call it, the, the antagonist, and didn't have it. And may have been cheated, that may have affected audiences, should they have gone with another title, but just John Carpenter Presents, it's... It's a hard one. To well, this is this, this is where
1: the, this is where the film is uh, conflicting with itself because the title is Halloween three. So I think if you're going to go and do an anthology, call it Halloween Season of the Witch, or you know, don't yeah, don't yeah, yeah. necessarily sequelize it because I think that most horror fans, not not all, but most horror fans. Um, they celebrate tropes. They celebrate, and you know, Scream played on this in the '90s. They celebrate the idea that they know what they know what the filmmakers are doing. They know how the story is going to pan out. And actually, the um, the excitement is sort of being two steps ahead of the story, and almost, you know, like I said, I, I hate to compare it to like McDonald's, but just go into a restaurant and order the same meal. You know yeah. what you want, and you want it. You that's what you've ordered, so give it to me. With Halloween three. I think one of the reasons why audiences rejected it so hard was not only did they market it as if it's gonna be a Halloween sequel, but also within the film, they ram it down your throat. By the way, this is a Halloween film with the same filmmakers, the same visual look, the same music, yeah. but it ain't it ain't your dad's Halloween. So it's just one of those things where I, I think that they they underestimated the the mass market for this. Yeah. You know, I reckon John Carpenter and Deborah Hill would have learned a lot from Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. So Devlin, should we, should we get into it? Have you got a plot for us for Halloween 3 I Season do. of the Witch?
2: Yeah, do you want uh, I'll do you a little precis of the plot here. <laughs> when a near catatonic man arrives at the hospital of Dr. Dan Chalice, he notices the unusual Halloween mask the man is clutching as he whispers terrible omens. When a mysterious assailant brutally murders him, and then sets himself alight in the car park, the mystery deepens. At the behest of the victim's daughter, they travel together to the small town of Santa Mira, to the factory of the reclusive Connell Cochrane and his silver shamrock novelties to investigate where the masks are made But they can never imagine and are not remotely prepared for <laughs> the horrors that <laughs> await them.
1: <laughs> Shall we talk about the, the opening credits? We are introduced to this amazing music that John Carpenter just produces, Uh, him and uh, who's the other guy? Alan Howarth. It is wonderful. Um, But I I really, I couldn't help but think one minute into the opening credits that this was reminding me of Dial Up when I was waiting for internet pages to load up. (laughs)
3: Yeah, but I quite I like that noise. It's really uneasy. Like the first, yeah. I think the first tone and of the film is really high pitched, and it's a great. Yeah, I don't know. And it's the, a way, the way the way the um
2: the way they time it to the uh to the bands of of color flipping on and off the screen yeah. as well. Um. So uh, I saw um Alan Howarth in uh, in concert a couple of years back. He did um a show at Union Chapel, and he he brought like a medley of. So this was on like Halloween night, so he did a medley of uh, the scores. He so he didn't work on Halloween one, but he worked with Carpenter from Halloween two and three, and then he scored four, five, and six on his own. Um, and in between uh, uh, performing, he would talk about how they used to do the scores, and um, he and Carpenter at times would just um, line the film up and and uh, they'd improv they'd improv to the to the film live like they wouldn't they wouldn't have a score they wouldn't write they oh, would wow. just make music while the film is playing so when you see these um these synth notes kind of hitting the images at the same time that was just them
1: that's just great and th- a
2: vamping which is yeah. which is pretty incredible
1: yeah it's awesome and it's uh give the director some credit they set up the the sort of the narrative plot points with uh the rendering of the Jackal Lantern, which is important to the film, but also to the series, because of the original poster and what it yeah. wh- what it represents, but also what it represents to Halloween. Mm-hmm. So,
2: the opening credits of the first, two yeah, exactly. Well so it it,
1: the... it works as an opening, but again, counter argument would be that as an audience member sat down in 1982 you're just thinking okay well maybe i'm going to see michael myers with uh, i don't know a usb stuck in him because we have got this computer screen
3: or, or even like a new mask or something because that's what i thought i thought maybe that that's the twist that they're going on we we introduced to the masks pretty early on and i mm-hmm. thought he was almost disguising himself you know became a known killer or something
1: so we go from the opening credits and then we um we have a chap running I'm just, I can't, I, I'm constantly putting myself into the mindset of an audience member in 1982. So we've got the sound, that's that's evoking the first Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's not the same theme, but it's using synthesizers instead of pianos. John Carmichael's got a very distinct style, so it's very recognisable.
3: Those long, ominous notes of dread. Do, do you guys yeah. watch Peep Show?
1: Well, I, I used to, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yes. Go going, going completely off-boil off here, but there's... What it what the score reminded me of, I'm not criticizing it because I do like the sound of it. But there's a, there's a scene in Peep Show with Superhands, they're trying to make a commercial for Honda. <laughs> he goes, and he goes, the, the longer the note, the greater the dread. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what that's what a lot of the score reminded me of as he presses the key, just burn. Yeah. And it's
1: funny you should say that because some of the notes that go on for ages just reminded me of some of the edits that go on for ages in the middle part of the film. Where you're just like Jesus, cut from this scene. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what I was what I was uh, going into was that uh, visually it also evokes the same same feel as as the original Halloween. Dean Kundi's back. And the lighting, I I will say, his depth of field on that opening shot with the chap just running towards camera, it looks incredible.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to mention there's a couple of times during the film where um, I think this film, and a lot of Carpenter films, but this film especially, kind of, um, it suffers for not being able to see it the way it's actually shot. I've, I've got this on, I think I've got three different versions of this um and the tv version and the first dvd i bought of it were um uh like 16 by 9 pan and scan and you lose so much in those edges because you know they they shot in that big 235 to 1 uh widescreen format yeah i watched it on the 16 and by 9 here yeah there's there's little moments where like things are happening at the edges of the frame and, and you just don't get them which uh which, which is a shame because, yeah, mm-hmm. Cundy knows how to stuff that, that frame all the way across with information.
1: He does. And it, his use of the blues, the reds, and the yellows later on in the dates, even the daytime stuff uh, when we get to Santa Mar- uh, Mira is, yeah, it, this film looks incredible.
3: Mm. I don't think it looks incredible. I think, yeah. I think the film's is actually lacking quite a lot of shot selection in its editing and stuff. There's quite a few times where there's, there. I don't know whether the scene has the coverage.
1: I would put that on uh, on Wallace's door. I'd put it on the director.
3: I, I would as well. I would as well. But
1: I'm not about the lighting. I'm not just not about the cinematography. Yeah,
2: fine. Individual lighting schemes and, and individual iconic shots are um, mostly pretty incredible. Also, anytime the camera travels is great because it sort of takes that editing decision out of the hands of anyone else. It means that they had to sit and block it and. The timing comes on set.
1: Just to just to uh, give some context, this opening yep. scene: chaps running away, he's holding a big mask. It's nice and orange, so it's very very obvious obvious in the in mm-hmm. the in the scene. Um, and a chap in a suit with some nice leather gloves is chasing him and slip back yeah. hair. These robots are they robots? Yes. Are they humanoids? Uh, are they they're, they're replicas?
2: Mechanical mechanical robots filled with yellow goo.
1: There's a scene later on where. The good doctor just smashes into one and punches straight through them, uh, and then this lemon curd comes out of his mouth. And I'm thinking, well, are you yep. organic or are you uh, mechanical? No,
2: he pulls out a handful of wires after he punches. Well, through I know
1: his he does, Devlin, but he punches through him like a man would punch through a cloud.
3: It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> because I've been pondering that, and I I think the whole point is because he's an experiment. He's a toy maker, so to speak, a prankster. I think he's transformed her. However, she is in a room with no tools or or anything. It's just a room with a yeah. bed, and, he, and hasn't, it,
2: he hasn't had very long to do. But the
3: way I read it was that she, that that was like his, I don't know, final trick to the doctor, to because he's been thwarted. He knew, I don't know. It, it, that's how it felt to me I've I feel got, um, that she was transformed
2: I've got uh, I've got two possible ridiculous scenarios oh one is that in a factory that has a lot of latex pouring ability uh, it would be a lot easier for him to uh, have like a robot that he could just put a head on that looks like her yeah. like you know you just you make a mould you make a face and then you put it on obviously it, it's, it's absurd that it would look realistic enough to fool him um, the second theory, which I know for a fact is bullshit, <laughs> is that um, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing if she was sent already? Yeah, I, I was. Oh, nice. In order, to, yeah. in order to as like a, the grandest prank <laughs> of all, to just sucker this guy in to, to because like Cochrane is a Bond villain basically by the end of it, and he's. <laughs> He's desperate for somebody to tell his fucking brilliant plan to, so he's like, oh, well, I mean, nobody's going to work this out. So I'm going to have to send out... Yeah, so I'm going to have to send out a sexy robot who's a terrible <laughs> actress.
1: Well, that works That works for the actress, doesn't it? That she's a little bit robotic and stiff.
2: But, of course, I mean, that theory's shot to shit because um, mm-hmm. if you notice, know, after she gets uh, rescued by Dan, she doesn't speak
3: yeah. for the remainder of the That's film. right. And also yeah, we get She's one of also robots sneezing as well which suggests some sort of
1: not Yeah know. they they, they yeah. can Im, they can imitate yeah. human behavior or like the little nuances of human or, or a yeah. physical
3: sort of a body that they've they've had to take has those habits hmm. that they can't control we'll, as robots.
1: We'll get into it later but um <laughs> There's some some serious Swiss cheese plot holes going on because if we are <laughs> oh, to believe yeah. that she is a robot that has been created, uh, she's complicit in the downfall of her own organization for no reason yeah. whatsoever, but we'll get into that later on. Um can we can we get straight to the gas attendant, who is my favorite oh, yeah. favorite gas attendant in film. But yeah, he's <laughs> reading a magazine and this is the first time, first of fourteen, because I counted it, where we get the <laughs> infamous Silver Shamrock commercial. Happy Happy
4: Halloween 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 Happy Happy Halloween Silver Shamrock Happy
3: Happy Halloween I think it works as well. I think we need like I think you need it a TV lot early on. The, too much TV. Yeah. So.
2: And um, the, the tone of it definitely changes, you know, after after you realise what's happening with that commercial they only play it i think another three times after that and yeah the the whole kind of atmosphere of it is completely different
1: it does change doesn't it and the subliminal element uh, cuz this film this film picks its targets and they they they're quite um overt with the targets they're going for but whether or not they execute it properly is to be discussed but certainly the commercialization of halloween and this whole idea that people kind of get drawn in by these uh, these adverts. you know. There's one on the radio, there's one on the TV. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. I think, it, I think it does work and it reminded me of, of adverts that I've hated in the past, yeah. like the Crazy Frog or... You know, do you remember the one, uh, I think it wasn't too long ago, Cavornia with clouds. <laughs> yeah. And that one always <laughs> sticks in my mind.
3: Well, even the go compare guy, it was just this repetitive nonsense. Ugh. Rip that moustache off and shove it down his
2: throat this is a film that's having a a definite rehabilitation of its, of its image over the last few years. And I I think you could argue that um, a lot of the stuff from this is more iconic than virtually anything else in any other Halloween film. And the first Halloween film Mm, outside mm. of the score and the, the basic outfit that Michael Myers wears, there's nothing else that really sticks in your head like this, like, Apart from Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, but I mean, uh, she,
4: yeah, but it's not I, really,
2: I mean, you've yeah. you've maybe got the moment when Michael busts through the um, uh, the closet as yeah. as like an iconic visual.
1: One of the things that happens in this scene, uh, apart from my favourite gas attendant just reading his little <laughs> magazine and the advert <laughs> coming on, is we get a little TV spot where another certainly a plot device that really doesn't hold up uh, at all. Stonehenge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a news report of a very British man, I'm assuming BBC, yeah. uh, is reporting a stolen stone, one of the 19 uh, that has been stolen from Stonehenge, and uh, and police are still investigating it.
0: Leaving British authorities still baffled and without any substantial clues nine months after the theft. The blue stone was one of 19... Believed to represent the 19-year cycle of the moon, it weighs more than five tons, making its disappearance a mystery indeed. Derek
1: Smith at Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Can we make sense of it, chaps? Because it uh, it baffled me. <laughs>
3: um, you can't make sense of it until it's tangibly linked in. Yeah, it. <laughs> I mean,
2: it's it's a long time to to ask an audience to keep hold of a, a, a throwaway piece of it, it is. information from a television at a time when you're still trying to uh, that first few minutes of being in a film you're still trying to adjust to the fact that you're in a film and you know you're trying to get to grips with with what the world is and and who your key players are and well it
3: needed that repetition of the yeah. advert as well didn't it you know like even when he's listening to the radio in bed it could have had a news broadcast yeah. about it then and just keep reminding you just if because else it's just
1: it's lazy this film is for genre it's sort of horror sci-fi and then we've also got a bit of a Columbo thing going on but the investigation is really really shit and actually if they just <laughs> if they just put some Stone Stonehenge in there and watch them dance then then maybe we would understand okay so this is actually an integral part of what is yeah. going on in this villain's overall plot.
2: The thing about the, um, the investigation being shite which is true but what I like about it is that <laughs> It is very much in, it's it's in keeping with the with the characters.
1: Are you for real? Yeah,
2: it's in it's yeah, in keeping with the characters. In keeping
1: it? with the characters, I didn't realise that doctors went off and did their own investigations. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, with it, with a sidekick who's <laughs> just got trays, oh, geez, of little foot buddy. There's are stuff, you kidding me, Dan? There is stuff <laughs> that
2: I like about Dan Chalice's character, and it's all set up in his first. Jesus, appearance. we'll get into that then. What yeah, are right. you talking about? So it's all. I
1: don't know. I didn't realize you were a raging alcoholic who was terrible to your family, but there we are. <laughs> I
3: like things about him too. Is it his clothes? <laughs> well, I do I like how I they. Say. It's very quickly established he's some sort of super stud in the hospital. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but they establish it by him hitting on women. <laughs> so they pat one of their asses, like one of the nurses. Just cheerful, <laughs> yeah, exactly. mild, ass touching. And a poor attempt at sexual tension with the, 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 the woman who's just she looks like she hasn't left from that stool and the microscope the entire film <laughs> she's working that was uh that
2: was all that was all reshoots so yeah that woman did just she only had that chair to sit in because uh she wasn't she in was. the original uh, cut of the film they had to add So we
1: just talk about tom atkinson mm-hmm. uh the actor and the character dr dan chalice yep. in halloween three season of the witch so you've got you <laughs> there's clearly things that you identify with weird um well, settling. hang on a, se- explain. Hang well, on a actually, second. Actually, you know I mean, what? Explain. Explain, his, explain his character. Because
2: what I mean, there's a difference between finding a character interesting and enjoying watching them and identifying with them. Um, I think that Dan Chalice, as a as a, a lead <laughs> as a lead character in a film like this, um, in another in <clears throat> some would say foolish, some would say brave choices.
4: <laughs> the, the lead
2: character of, uh, of a genre horror film, not only that, a genre horror film which is a direct sequel to two very successful horror films which were about a guy in a mask slaughtering uh, predominantly young women. So, what do you do for your third one? You cast a shlubby guy in his 40s with a mustache <laughs> and you make him a drunk doctor who. If you watch his uh, his first appearance when he when he blunders into his ex wife's house, who is played by uh, Annie from the first Halloween, his wife. Yes. Yes. yes
1: nice. Nice reference.
2: Um, when his kids come round the corner and start saying "Daddy," have you seen the look on his face? He hates them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> he hates them along with the filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd argue he's definitely channeling the filmmaker's view on kids. But
3: on again, it, it, that's a poor scene, though. It, it's just crowbarring in a family for him to... It's. It, I don't like it at all. He's <laughs> got a weird family that we don't care about in the yeah, end. Whatsoever.
1: Patrick, you're missing the point, though. I mean, I, I'll, I'll agree with Davlin. He's, in... he's
3: trying to make his character, I get it, but it's just...
1: They are, they are... I'll give Davlin and i'll give this film some credit when it comes down to our protagonist they also subvert in our normal expectations of what a male lead would be however devlin in your description of tom atkins character mm. you forgot to mention lothario and not. i'm sorry mate he is a poor man's charles bronson in the death wish and in death wish charles bronson had no character but always got the lady and tom atkins always gets the lady and he cannot <laughs> deliver these lines and he has got no charisma whatsoever and he's, there's no way I'm buying him <laughs> as Mr. Dr. Love. Do you know what I mean? I,
2: I, think, I think Atkins is doing fine work.
1: <laughs> Listen, I know you've met him. So that's obviously but... going to cause a little bit of friction in your mind. But, no, but
2: I, 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 think, he... I think there's stuff going on. I think he's he's working in all these things <laughs> talking about a Charles Bronson comparison, a late career Bronson, no less, is very very cruel.
1: Yes, and he reminds me of a is, late career Bronson.
2: He is putting effort in here. He's reacting to things. There's line
3: deliveries. He's <laughs> weird. He's <laughs> fucking really weird.
0: Talking about
3: the only time he I see that at all, is when he's on the phone at the end. Yeah? Oh, when that's he's the on the only, phone. That's the only time I'll agree with you. I just, I, when I he's like, on the phone, like he's his, on the phone
1: uh, half the film. I like his exasperation. No, at the end when he's
3: begging them to turn it I clear. like his constant exasperation every
2: time he's on the phone to his ex-wife who he hates. Talking about his kids that you also hate.
1: You know when he's in the, uh, you know that opening scene with the family, and they subvert this idea that you know it's dad coming home, but actually dad's not with mom anymore, yeah. and mom's dressed in this very kind of uptight middle class uh, sort of costuming, uh, and the, and he gives the kids these shitty masks that are just a little shitter than the silver shamrock <laughs> masks. But what I do like is I imagine where he's just come from and those brown bags look very familiar to the (laughs) brown bag that is covering the bottle of booze that he buys later on in the film. I imagine that he had those brown bags from his previous night and he just put those masks in there. Oh, I think he bought... His, where was the Tesco bag? I think
2: he bought the liquor from the liquor store and then remembered that he's got kids. <laughs> so he bought, like... He's <laughs> like, do you have any Halloween shit? And he's like, yeah, I got these. One's a sheep, I think, and the other's a kind of... Oh, I, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll just have those. And then he turns He turns up drunk because his wife points out, like, uh, "Yeah, drinking and doctoring.
1: Then the, uh, the gas attendant has driven... The, the crazed man with the Halloween mask to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He's lying down. He was unconscious, wasn't he? Yeah. And then the uh, the advert comes back on again. And that's when it, he awakes he when he hears this advert. And he, like you said, he's clutching the, the mask. And that's when he, he says,
0: They're going to kill us. All of us.
1: then do we oh that's it we cut to outside the hospital and uh robots waiting there ominously and then we have a slow dissolve time passing
2: the uh the the guys in the suits what i quite like about that is that um in terms of like visual carryover or, or like thematic carryover from the other halloween films it's almost like they fill in the place of Michael.
1: Oh, they absolutely do, Dublin. They absolutely do. I mean, the the music, the music stings whenever they appear on screen or when they do a little sidestep and they're they're then shown. They're slow. They're methodical.
3: But the main one is even played by Dick Warlock, the stuntman who played mm. Michael in the second. Film. And
1: actually, um, in one of the the reshoots, in one of the later kills where uh, the deputy coroner is killed with the drill, that that feels like a. A Halloween kill or a Friday the thirteenth.
3: Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't done my research here because I wanted to look it up. But Santa Mira, the town that they're in, is actually I think it's I think it's right, it's the same town name that they had an invasion yeah. of the body snatchers Yes. Years yes. before. Yeah. So when you got that shot when L's taken outside the motel and you've got the line of the five of the we're we going to yeah, call them there's... robots? Yeah,
1: I referred to them as robots. They, yeah, it's
3: it's. I think there's a lot that yeah, they're taken a... from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This and it's a lovely influence. Yeah. I, I do. Also, think it when works. they when they first roll into mm. Santa Mira and
2: you know everyone's staring at them out of the windows of every business. Um, it's
1: yeah. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've got you've got a a kind of you've said Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think Carpenter tackles this again in They Live a little bit, and even in The Thing where you've got people yeah. that are portraying normal, but actually underneath there's there's something darker inside mm-hmm. of them. This film doesn't quite get to those levels. We get our first kill, so our suitman man uh, comes in, or Patrick Bateman, with his uh, with his gloves on. <laughs> I, will, I will say, I don't think I've ever seen anyone die from yeah. eye gouging and brain plunging. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty gruesome without actually much blood. And obviously there's a symbolic uh, reason behind the kill. You know, he clearly saw something he shouldn't have seen. (laughs) I thought there'd be more blood, but yeah, but traditionally I don't think the Halloween series has ever been terribly gory. It it evolved into being gory replicating Friday the 13th. But I think that was the thing that separated the two franchises is go back and watch the original Halloween, very little to no blood. Whereas the Friday the Thirteenth plays on that gore,
2: I think they do a good job of, uh, especially here, and also again the the drill kill on the on the coroner. I think it's it's those are great examples of showing very little and suggesting something awful, so the audience is going to sit there uh and and fill yeah, in the blanks yeah. and that's gross and then when you need to show it later on like you do in the um in the test room with little buddy cup when you when you've got to see something horrible they are quite willing to put it out there um <laughs> i think it. i think the, the way they dole it out is uh is 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 decent i think this is a, a great sequence this is bizarre like is at, at this point in the in the story, mm. you don't know anything about anyone and a guy's had his, his head ripped open and then a guy's
3: just walked into a car and set yeah. himself on fire. The, the car does blow up a bit too quickly. It's, like it's a it. bit Simpsons,
1: isn't it? it just
3: <laughs> immediately. <blows. laughs> immediately. As soon as he lights the match, he's a boom. I would have liked to see some burning. You know what else yeah.
1: doesn't ring true is um, Devlin's favourite actor, uh, Tom Atkins' reaction shot just does not feel like he's looking at the same thing that I am.
3: <laughs> and again, he he's emotionless. He's just staring into the distance. You said he's reacting at things, Devlin, but he's doing fuck all in he that looks, shot. I'm not get it like he's
1: like he's looking at two dogs having sex. He's saving it. It's up like not later. the right reaction. You
3: can't, go, you, can't,
1: you can't
2: go that big this early. He's modulating his performance. <laughs>
1: Can we talk about the next scene? Because there's an extra that needs pointing out. So Dr. Chalice is on the phone. Um, the way that they framed it, and this is um, this is something that you, you use in directing when you want to draw the audience's focus on a certain character, but have things in the background, set the scene. You've got a, a policeman in the foreground. Dr. Chalice, Tom Atkins, is in the middle. He's on the phone. On the left-hand side, we have a fireman. We only know he's a fireman because he's wearing <laughs> a fireman's hat with a, what looks like a paper <laughs> F that's tapped on <laughs> it. <laughs> the F! <'Cause> it's just...
3: <laughs> I'm so glad you said it about the F.
1: <laughs> it's, honestly, it's flailing in the wind like a dog's tongue out of a window. And uh, he's standing there, and he's got to be, and Patrick, I would like you to to vouch me for this because me and you have both done the same job when it comes down to looking after extras
3: i'm watching it now i've got it on thing is he is
1: <laughs> nodding and responding to the good doctor's words as he's on the phone trying to explain to his wife that two men have died tonight honest to god he is the best extra and this is a podcast so audio not the best medium to to show this but please if you're not going to watch halloween three Go onto YouTube and get this scene. It's the funniest <laughs> thing in the film. I was <laughs> laughing my head it's off.
3: Just a nodding dog. I don't even think he's wearing a Feyman's uniform. I think he's like it's a leftover police uniform from costume. I think I'll just give him a fireman's helmet. Oh, it's ridiculous. But he also looks like
2: the guy from Father Ted who shows up for a holiday and never speaks. <laughs> it's like talking to a brick wall <laughs> with a mustache. <laughs>
3: I do. We did have uh, an extra recently, Gally, who um, very prominent next to the main actor in this scene, who we had a fake mustache and beard on, <laughs> <laughs> and because he was, because kind of, well, I, I didn't tell him to do this, but he was obviously naturally listening to the conversation, the dialogue between the two, <laughs> and he was nodding along, but he was twirling the mustaches <laughs> 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 and, and like. You know, if you're in a cinema, that face is like 50 foot, high and it, oh god! I, don't, I had to go in when they cut, and as I, even as I was going in, made the decision myself on the radio. Patrick, get rid <laughs> of my now! Oh, Poirot,
1: they're causing issues.
3: <laughs> can, come with me, mate. Come with me. You're gonna, you're gonna do something different.
2: So, we we meet Ellie. We meet the daughter of the of the guy who's had his fucking skull ripped open. She's uh, her her reaction is is somewhat muted. As we've, as we've mentioned, perhaps by her limited abilities. <laughs> um, and we then meet the assistant coroner, which is another hmm. one of Dr. Dan's uh, many, many conquests.
4: <laughs> so, uh,
2: and, and he has to look into this. So uh, clearly this is playing on his mind and, and the, those two characters come together in a, in a bar when Dan is sitting uh, watching cartoons alone in a bar. In a bar which has an incredible lighting scheme as well. This is <laughs> another of, uh, of of Dean Cundy's magic setups. It does. It's kind of really hot reds and greens around the place. So uh yeah, Ellie convinces him to uh go to that uh her dad's toy shop and she she realizes that the trail went cold when he went to collect his mask. So that's where that's where they're they're gonna go. So uh Dr Dan once again calls his uh his beloved ex-wife and shouts at her on the phone and as as he's giving her the brush off turns around (laughs) and casually sweeps his six beers off the top of the next of the next phone box (laughs) and just jumps in a car with a woman uh, a, a bereaved woman that he just met
0: linda i can't get out of it i'm really sorry i Ah, just a bunch of doctors talking about boring stuff. Linda, Linda, take it easy. I'll be back to take them trick-or-treating, I promise. I'll call... No, I can't remember the name of the hotel. I'll call you Monday. I gotta go. Bye.
1: (laughs) Why is he Dr. Lord, and then all of a sudden he's Columbo? It doesn't make sense. Other than he wants some serious poontang.
3: Like it makes sense in being called in for such, you know, why would you, why would you be called into a hospital for a man who's passed but, out? I don't know. I, I, I guess, yeah, it's,
2: it's
3: um, weird. expediency
2: so we, so we can have a scene in a hospital. <laughs> um, reason, <laughs> Re- reason's happened, yeah. and now he's on his way to Santa Mira well. uh, with yet another uh, uh, piece of amazing score music. This is a really great little uh, motif that plays when they're driving into Santa Mira. You yeah. expositional dialogue about, you know, what Santa Mira is. So yeah. much
1: yes. expositional dialogue, Devlin.
2: Yeah. But it's played over some lovely uh, shots. <laughs> uh, established. It's, it, you know, it's, it's efficient. I'm, I'm not going to argue that it's incredible, but I'd say it's very efficient. Santa Mira,
0: founded 1887, farming community, grew up around a large dairy, after World War II, a wealthy Irishman, Connor Cochran, converted it into a toy factory. Silver Shamrock novelties. Now given over to the manufacturing and sale of Halloween masks. Largest in the world. Proud community, predominantly Irish.
3: Irish Halloween masks?
0: California, you never
2: know. I love how, um... They managed to make things seem super ominous, even in really broad California sunlight. Like, I'm really impressed by that.
1: Uh, there's some really nice shot selection. The one with the camera, uh, where the camera is just in the foreground and we see it turn. Um, you've got people looking through windows, but they're they're shot from beyond the window so you can see their reflection
3: well it reminds me of a, a western when when the strangers come into town on the horse you know and it, it, it's done nicely um and they and they pull up at the
2: one motel in town yeah. which is uh owned and operated by the lucky charms mascot
3: yes that... but let me tell you when the when the guy is introduced at the motel good evening to you that, that's that's questionable at the, at the least <laughs>
0: <laughs> good evening to you say partner uh you happen to know is there a vacancy here in this motel my wife and I need a place to stay you've come to the right place it's cozy, it's quiet and the price is right
1: the Lafferty's bloke is, oh, uh, is, is outrageously well, bad
3: the price is right <laughs> <laughs> and the price is right there the, is more to Ireland <laughs> than this uh, but immediately oh. just to kind of <laughs> Because <laughs> I could do that all day. <laughs> he he does he does definitely. You don't trust him, which is good as well. I think, and that adds to the introduction to the yeah. town. We, we've had the shot of him watching them arrive, and now that they're with him, we do we are worried for them, which is it's a good setup.
1: Like like a lot of horror films is self-referential and also referencing other horror films, and this is all straight out of Psycho, as, to the point where he goes off and checks who's been in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's who's signed into the hotel, and when when Doctor Love is uh, is has come back and he's checked that the her father has actually did did stay at the motel. This is where the film. This is where it feels like there's there's there's, there's two forces going on because the characters that are introduced uh, by trying to hit our protagonists. So we have. I know it was before National Lampoons, but they kind of feel like the Griswolds a little bit. Feel like they are part of the satire of the theme of commercialization. They're like social climbers, aren't they? That The guy's a salesman, yeah. but he's dressed like a slub and he's overweight and he doesn't really care about his kid. The mother doesn't give a shit about anything. She's just putting makeup on and seems quite sort of detached from everything. And, and the
2: kid rides off on his bike flipping them they, both off which is great <laughs>
1: yeah. it feels like we're in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 territory you know what I mean it feels like we're it feels like we're we're playing this for laughs it jars with me a little well, bit I
3: think, I think it's supposed to be funny that he almost gets run over twice as well you know it's, yeah he... it's farcical really? your driving
0: honey I mean, you could kill that man I didn't hurt it hey sorry about that glad it didn't hit you <laughs> Great thing. thank you for taking it
2: up You all right? No problem. Hey, buddy, cup for San Diego. <laughs> well, we're entering a, a strange stretch of the film, which is that, that opening is kind of so odd, and it's really kind of off kilter, and you're not really sure where you're going. And then this 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 stretch when you're in Santa Miras, is, is it's it's bizarre. Yeah, totally, it's very bizarre. And story-wise, it pushes forward in really strange ways, and often doesn't push forward particularly by much.
1: It just tonally, didn't didn't feel like it was a part of the film that I've been watching for forty minutes to this. Uh, no, sorry, thirty minutes to Do this. Do you think
3: point. this comes though from uh, Tommy Lee Wallace having written some of it and Nigel Neal having written some of it as well, and maybe within the script that one of them created these characters that remained or something, you know, and doesn't quite marry up with the rest of it
2: also a first first time director as well
1: yeah i think the whole film's like that i think that the script has had several passes we've got producers that are saying we want more kills we've got directors that wanted a psychological horror Mm. film and then we've got a director who's he's going for the target of commercialization and actually i don't like the kids so it, it does feel like a bit of a a bit of a mismatch and and this is the one scene where I really do think that that is highlighted within the film, but when dr Love uh escapes the two uh near misses he then goes in to the motel and I've got to say this is probably the funniest and oh, creepiest scene in the it's, film it's
3: really, oh, I love this this line I hope you're gonna say
1: yeah so so dr love uh and I made a note of what he says because i was I was pretty horrified <laughs> but it, I was also like you know what well done, sir, because you are—you are a yeah. frank man. He—he he then says—he uh, says to Ellie, "Oh yeah. God, I need a drink." And uh, actually, you know what? Investigation time. It's—it's it's four o'clock. We'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I think we should just sleep on it and we'll get on. Well,
2: well it's because his his clothes can hold up for another day, which is important. Maybe I had to get another room.
0: That looks sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? What I mean is, if you'd uh, feel more comfortable, I could sleep in the car, be better in this floor anyway. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Jalice? That's a dumb question, Miss Grimpidge.
1: Honestly, not since Demons have I seen someone go in for the kill, and all of a sudden, 30 minutes into our film, we've got ourselves a love story, baby.
2: Now, a recently bereaved woman at least a decade his <laughs> junior probably getting on for two decades
1: i'm suggesting throughout the whole film that he has identified that she's got daddy issues and he's just <laughs> praying. i think that's it.
3: giving him a bit more credit he's he's just <laughs> the thing is right so in that scene you're going to help me here because unfortunately i found out i watched the uk um edited version so does anything happen in that scene after the kiss?
1: No, they, they, they just snog. But um, I think I was I was shocked. More so than the kills we've
3: had thus yeah. far. I didn't see it coming yeah. at all.
2: Well, that's for the best. There is
3: literally no setup for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's odd. To it be fair, oh, yeah. he is
1: the good doctor.
3: It is odd that they have sex again. Mm. Well, we're assuming they had sex then. But then we actually see a bit yes. of kind of... In the second sitting, usually you'd see it in the first sitting and set up that they're shagging now. And then
1: Well no, I don't think I don't think they had sex. I think he snogged it and was like, oh, I thought I was in there. That's why I came out to Santa Mira. <laughs> and then I think he thought, Right, in order to get in order to get myself like so I can actually go for more than two minutes, <laughs> i need a drink.
3: I do like um when he goes out and meets the guy uh, mm. the homeless guy after the, guy, after the curfew. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do love. Oh, the curfew by the way. Do you know whose voice that is? I do. Is?
1: It's it's Jamie Lee. It's Jamie Lee
3: Curtis, which is cool. Yeah, it's an
1: uncredited cameo by Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. Yeah,
3: I like that. But but yeah. when he meets the homeless guy there's a great line from the homeless guy. I can't I paraphrase it's like do you want a ham with that that looks Yeah. Just because he wants he to drink. a litre bottle. Great. That's so, so good.
1: He also says, oh, don't worry, I haven't got, I got any."
3: Disease. And then he just lets him drink from the bottle. <laughs> which, see, oh, so good.
1: I don't even let my girlfriend drink from the milk. So fuck would I let some homeless guy get his lips around my bottle of booze. <laughs> it turns
2: out he's got his own. In the next scene, he's, stang- he's staggering around with some sort of what looks like.
1: Yeah, he's, he, he gets drunker. Uh, the more he exposes dialogue about the plot. Yeah. We've talked a lot, and actually, you know what? There's been a big gap between the kills. This is sort of an issue that is raised with the audience that went to see this. And not only are you not going to see a Michael Myers film, but also the kills in the first hour are pretty sparse.
2: Well, it's a weird one because, I mean, in terms of um, the amounts of like on-screen violence, going back to... Uh, Halloween 1 especially, kind of nothing happens until some stuff happens at the end. But you see, what, like four on-screen deaths? And they're, they're all packed into the last 30 minutes of that film. Uh, Halloween 2 had a little bit more kind of scattered throughout. But um, yeah, maybe if they were going for more of a a, a heavy invasion of the body snatchers reference invasion of the body snatchers is not a violent mm. film it's an atmospheric mm. film it's a, a tense film but um, I, I think um there was certainly pressure from uh, dino de laurentis was involved in this the uh our, our the good dino of, of demons fame <clears throat> and I, I i as far as i can tell he was um certainly pushing for a little bit more extreme content so i think maybe these two deaths that occur right now in santa mira this death and also marge's death which depending on your edit is uh is brutal i don't know which version Mm -hmm. you guys saw and patrick i think you would have seen the same one that i've seen most which is the one where um when marge dies you see the the laser misfire into her mouth Mm -hmm. And then yeah. when it cuts back, she's pulling her hands down from her face and she's got all bugged out red yeah. eyes. And then it cuts before the yeah. hands reveal the Whereas nose. the full version of that, yeah. her hands come all the way down and like her
3: mouth is just I saw it, I, torn um, open and I had a look at it because it's really yeah, cool. Um, it's a great effect. I really like the Yeah. That's the version yeah. I saw.
1: I saw the, the uncensored or whatever whatever version it is, I saw yeah. the one where um, you get all the the gory details, and it's uh, it's yeah, a really it's cool here. death.
3: It's it's mm-hmm. wait, is it a wasp that kind of comes? It looks her, like it, her, right? It doesn't look like and... a
2: cockroach. It looks like it's it's got the no, segmented it's... body of like a large bee or a wasp, not it?
3: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really cool, and it reminded me of Candyman a little mm. bit. Um, well, that came after, but I don't think the homeless man's death was edited. There's a really nice wide shot with the blood yeah. spurting from the body, and you see the head get removed and. I like those physical get, effects like that. They're really yeah. cool. You get one little, uh, little, little splatter, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's
1: it's wonderful, isn't it? It's great. Yeah,
3: it's uh, it's a bit pulpy that the way the blood splatters out because again, like you said, Halloween, I suppose up to this point hadn't been about that, mm. had it It'd been? Yeah, this is cleaner kills. This is like definitely you said. one of the
2: more. I think this one upped the kind of graphic quotient a lot over the other two. Maybe. Um, Halloween 2 has a couple of the probably the the really famous one is the the couple being boiled in the bath,
3: oh yeah mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, but certainly that first one I mean uh, one of the characters just kind of gets strangled in a car and you only see it through the window from outside and yeah it's it's not it's not about kind of elaborate grotesque kind of disgusting kills
1: a homeless man has been killed he's. He's basically warned Dr. Chalice of uh, Cochrane. There's a couple of uh, lines that refer to how local people have been displaced by outsiders. He's 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 got his head ripped off by uh, the robots. Uh, and then we get sexy time with Dr. Chalice and <laughs> yeah. Ellie. And this is where, I mean, we haven't really talked about a character because there is very <laughs> little to talk about with regards yeah. to a character. But 'm gonna I'm gonna give the actress I say not credit but I'm just gonna maybe an excuse throw a counterpoint yeah not well excuse is probably the best word but to why she's she's not very good in this film she isn't um, the actress herself um, but she's got so little material to work with what can you do when you've got yourself a 45 year old man just lurching (laughs) over you so we get a a sex scene that feels totally out of place i i didn't see it again it was edited for me well i'm gonna paint the picture patrick so she's in her sexy lingerie uh we've already had like Uh, and this is when he says uh, how old shot of her just coming out of the shower oh no no that's after i'm gonna go i'm gonna go straight into Nipplegate. Uh, no. So, so yeah, he
3: nice, nice he um right
1: he like comes back from his uh his encounter <laughs> with the homeless man, and uh, he just goes straight for that nipple like a calf <laughs> on a cow. And do you guys remember me, myself, and Irene when Jim Carrey <laughs> yeah. just starts suckling on <laughs> the tits? Honest to God, honest to God, and he goes straight for that nipple, and he's like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I, I was pissing myself <laughs> laughing. Oh, to the I missed it. I was I was thinking, "Like, why would you have this in the film? Yeah, it's other not... than just to get people's rocks off. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on?" And what was even worse was, whilst I was laughing, I was thinking, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to check this actress out." Oh, I then found out that she she dated Woody Allen. So all my laughter then turned into horrid oh, not dread. Just that. She
2: uh, she claims that um, Manhattan was based on her relationship with Woody Allen, which began when she was 16.
1: Oh, well, no. It. And then, and then, Patrick, you've already alluded to it. They have a conversation mid... Yeah. So we're, we're intercutting between Marge's death. So actually, we should explain what happens to Marge. So Marge, uh, she refers to how um, poor quality the masks are. I agree with you, Marge, by the way. Um, that... I
3: didn't say the yeah, they're not very.
1: I didn't say they're they're not very well made because um, the silver shamrock uh, label fell off. And it's like this little coin. And within the coin, there's a little microchip. But Marge didn't know that. So Marge was dressed to her best in bed and starts playing with it. And then a laser, a laser beam like sharks in Austin Powers uh, <laughs> fires into her face.
3: Laser. Yeah,
1: and and kind of... Uh, it is pretty cool. Her death is one of the more memorable deaths within the film. We'll get into what the insects and snakes means and we'll probably do that later on for the death of the little ginger. So she dies <laughs> through just playing with this little silver shamrock label. But in between... Uh, Dr. Love is is banging Ellie and then afterwards they have a conversation and it is creepy yeah. as fuck.
3: Because he just says But there's that great bit when she's on top of him and she says, What was that? When the laser fires. And oh, he says, doesn't oh, he say like who cares? Cool.
1: And then afterwards she starts <laughs> snogging him, even though they've clearly stopped, and a commercial goes, uh the commercial for the silver shamrock comes on again. He's like, Oh for fuck's mm. sake, why is that? Yeah, I think they're listening to uh Jason Donovan's Late Night Love on Heart. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the advert comes back on, and then he he she says to him. And then he, he just does. He just say, "Wait a minute. How yeah. old are you?"
0: Wait, wait, wait. How old are you? <laughs> Relax. I'm older than I am. <laughs>
1: Devlin, why is this in my Halloween movie? <laughs>
2: Uh, and to think people wanted to see Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could be asking ourselves or the filmmakers um, why Marge was in town to collect an order on the 29th of October for Halloween masks.
1: I assumed it was for next year, which I just thought she was... No. Quite dil- they specifically
2: <laughs> say that um, later the Cupfers. Uh, the uh colonel Cochran won't let them yeah. so won't let him uh, uh place an order for next year because that's when
3: his, his drunk idiot <laughs> wife just yells about maybe they're not
2: gonna have a Halloween next year. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but also why did El's dad go and pick it up? surely this is a company Well that was like a week they're making before. so much money they should ship the masks out to the shops.
2: I think uh, uh well that's the, the Marge does say that the um that she has to come down there and get them in person because you know the little guy has to go and get it because the deliveries are all screwed up, but. Um, oh, right. I missed that. Okay. I mean, if, if, if you wanted to be one of those irritating nitpick guys, literally nothing in this timeline makes sense,
3: but that's well, She's off really quickly as well. You know, it's basic setup to make you care a little bit and then boom, done. We mentioned it
1: earlier in, uh, in the show about, uh, the distance between the town and the hospital and the gas station—none <laughs> of that really makes sense because it appears to be, you know, just a short jog away. Uh, so it is one of those strange things. And I guess if you're, if you're that way inclined, then this would probably uh, be one of those really annoying things that you can't get over. But I, it didn't bother me too much, other than just, yeah, this is this is absurd. But we're kind of in absurdity well, anyway, exactly, aren't we? I mean, because we've got stone engines. You've got a hinge. And all that, so a hinge is <laughs> <got been> stolen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and the guy, oh. but we're into the factory now. Uh, aren't we? Yeah, we have like a, an, another little call from uh, Doctor Dan to his coroner, and uh, oh, that's definitely. when you re- you re- you find out that there uh the the room is bugged. So you know,
1: well, it's the same thing. You already mentioned them before about the mm-hmm. timeline, and we know that the coroner stuff was reshoots. Yeah. Uh, so this is why it really does feel like it's completely transplanted in because it doesn't make any sense. Because they must be the worst coroners ever. Because they what it, it, the death was on the twenty third, mm-hmm. twenty four,
3: yeah, twenty third,
1: twenty third, and they've only realised five days later, six days later that
2: they someone like, must have got the wrong sample. The <laughs> 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 I
1: mean, not since Predator Two have we seen a more superfluous doctor type character that's just in there. For nothing other than a bit of extra. Wow, I completely
2: forgot about you know, creepy doctor from Predator Two until you just mentioned it, and we watched that
1: a couple of weeks nothing, ago. Nothing, nothing registers on the uh, on the periodic table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so, but yeah, Patrick, you're right. Now we're now in the factory, aren't we? So Ellie and uh, Doctor Love are now just investigating more investigation, um, trying to. Uh, ascertain whether a father was there, and they were like, Yeah, he did. He picked up the order. Um, again, some dodgy Irish accents. I like the one guy who comes in who gets shooed in, and he's like, I won't do an Irish accent, I'll just speak normally. And he's like, No, I remember him. Uh, and then he drove, oh, yeah, north. <laughs> yeah and, and yeah, he headed north. And then, uh, and then the Griswolds just uh just come in as they're mm-hmm. about to leave.
3: And is it, it, his buddy, name buddy? the his handshake, buddy, isn't it? I love the handshake that he gives him, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he's off. dressed.
1: Yeah, he's he's sort of dressed to nines in a in a horrible sort of cream blue suit, and again we're lampooning sort of middle America, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is their top salesman of these mm. these masks, and uh, he's going to take a personal tour with Willie oh, what? <laughs> Johnny Wanker uh, with Colonel Cochrane. <laughs> yeah, Johnny. St- <laughs> <laughs> now, how would
0: you like a to guided tour? Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> Would it be all right if my friends
1: come along? Oh, yes. I was just about to ask them if you'd like to. We'd love to. No, so so Cochrane uh, gives them the guided tour, and we're we're really into kind of Willy Wonka territory here. Uh, what's strange is that Buddy seems to know more about Cochrane than than Cochrane. He starts <coughs> talking about how, uh, and again, this is all yeah. kind of alluding to the great villain. Do you remember the inventions? It's one of them.
2: Sticky toilet paper, which is hilarious.
1: <laughs> and
2: the, the the two that he follows up with, which are the what? incredible, and I, I cannot believe that they didn't take the time to show us this in the film. Um, The uh,
1: the dead dwarf oh, no, gag.
3: I've forgotten. Oh, and yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: the classic soft chainsaw. What the, the soft fuck chainsaw. Like? the soft chainsaw. You would have thought that would have come in, right? Yeah. Especially the dead dwarf gag. If they just took the time. You would do the soft chainsaw gag as a as a as a sort of reference point to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre that doesn't work. It, would the doctor try and escape? Maybe, but they don't. Like you said, they just do not do anything with that. It's a shame.
3: Well, what I like is when the kid runs to the mask. He's obviously excited, having seen the advert, which has brainwashed all the kids, and they want the mask. You know, it's the yeah. must-have Halloween accessory, but. There's the the plot device where Cochrane says, "Oh no, that you can't have that one. Mm. That one's not been through final processing." And then it gives him oh, one in a yeah. bag. <laughs> but What I love is <laughs> then we see a door that says "Final Normal Processing," is <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I do like that very much. It's it's yeah, it's brilliant. I'm always of the opinion
2: that uh, it's it's pretty dangerous. As a viewer, to automatically assume you're smarter than a film, I think the idea of the end game of the film, the big evil lair, literally being behind a big <clears throat> door with the big red
3: lettering across the top of it, I'm pretty sure they knew <laughs> what they were doing there. <laughs> feel that they had a bit of fun with Cochrane as well because it, again he's like you said earlier he's the Bond bad guy he's got his evil lair. There's so
2: there's there's so many they give him so many little moments like when they're leading um <laughs> Dr Dan out across the courtyard he just sort of stops in this big wide shot looks up and takes a big deep breath on Halloween morning it's you know he's playing it up yeah. it's, uh, it's it's really it's kind of
3: yeah, he is chewing the scenery yes
1: and the the actor I uh, I really only know him from from RoboCop and he's so. yeah, he's really good. He's sort of playing charming, but there's a threat there. He is he is he is villainous. Oh yeah, he
3: he's that he's got the lovely undertone, hasn't he? And was he, he, who's the family? The best salesman, you know, he has them under his spell and he's um, yeah. he's really good in uh, in The Last Starfighter. And he's uh
2: he's Greg. Oh
1: yes, he is in The Last oh, Starfighter. Directed
2: by the original Michael Myers, no less. Nick Castle. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. No way. Then Dr. Love sees all the robots sort of staring at him and he finally clocks them. Yeah. And uh, he moves Ellie away uh, from the tour. She sees her father's car in a garage and makes a a play for it. And then the robots converge and just stop her.
3: No, there's a real problem, isn't there? Because it's that that I had a problem with this scene because she runs to Mm. the, the car, stops, doesn't say a word. You know, in that situation, in in let's say expectation of real life, she'd be protesting, say, shouting, "That's my dad's car!" Blah, you know, and kicking up a fuss. But it's a really still to yeah. kind well, of seem they scene don't commit one way or the other. that she's either smart know, enough it, to know it's the car, go
2: but not say anything, no. or to freak. Out. But it's, I mean, it's mad because she's not a particularly um, uh, well-written character, unfortunately. We don't know whether she would be the type who would be rash enough mm. to run off, or whether she'd be the type who'd be smart enough to wait. Yeah, and so she kind of does both.
3: But also, like Chalice's protest protestation is, he says, mm. oh, yeah, "I think he yeah. does have a gesture to her to not do it," but even he just stands there stoic and waits for her to come back and hug him.
1: The next scene, they're 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 panicking, they're packing, they're trying to get out of there. But yeah.
3: there's
1: a there's a there's a scene that's missing there.
3: It, it's, it, it's yeah, it's really yeah, uh, yeah. It doesn't add up. It, it's not consistent. But as they're uh, as they're packing up, uh, does does Chalice go off he for another call, phone please. call? He does. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can't walk out. How many times is on the phone? And it, there's a really awkward shot on the door that lingers, but it's at the wrong angle of the door, <laughs> so you can't see. The, the whole point of the shot is to tell you he's left the door ajar, but it, we're on the wrong angle. If we're in the if we Went over to the other angle and see the door was open because <laughs> it doesn't quite look like he hasn't closed it. It's a bit silly, but um, yes, he goes for another phone call, and then when he comes back, L is no. Nah,
2: this is he's trying to call the cops, but this is when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is on the phone saying that no calls can be connected.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. And then when he comes back, Ellie's Ellie's nowhere to be seen, and we get the uh, invasion of the yeah. body snatch, snatchers shot.
3: Yeah, which I quite yeah, like that shot of the guy. It's fine a nice, guy. nice little it's reference. The well lit and it's imposing. You yeah, know, the threat is there. I quite like. And we it. have
1: a we have a bit of a prolonged chase scene. Kind of feels a bit like filler at times. And then does he does he go in the factory? How does how does how does Doctor Chalice get caught?
3: But when he goes into the factory, do you notice <laughs> that he climbs? Yeah. He, he crawls under a fence with the biggest gap under it <laughs> ever. <laughs> It's a really easy entrance. They would have to have a whole scene
2: where he finds some pliers, (laughs) cuts the fence. Like, oh, we're adding. You know, we need to to barrel into our third act. Yeah, just get him in. There's already a split. There's a split in the fence. It's fine.
1: And then I do remember he has the um he has the mano a mano against the robot, doesn't he? And uh, it's great. When he punches him the first time,
3: (laughs) and then he 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 just
1: goes, "Oh my god!" And then punches him again. And uh, like mm-hmm. any classic B-movie, there are cardboard boxes uh, at hand yes. you're just being tossed into these cardboard boxes. This is actually, um, br- you know, brings me back to life though because I think the film mm. suffers in the mid-bit for about 20 minutes. It's <clears> of <throat> Lost Me. But this yeah. is all quite fun. Now, uh, again. B-movie schlock. And uh, I'm back with it. To, yeah. uh, I can
2: only imagine, Cries of Derision. I really like what Tom Atkins does after he punches through the robot chest and he's got all the wires in his hand and then you just see him like, shut down.
1: Are you one about his resignation?
2: Yeah, well like he, he, <laughs> he grabs this handful of wires out of this thing's chest and then he just sort of collapses, like he, he ceases to be able to function. I don't know. Oh, okay. I like it. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting response to that. Um and then uh, Cochrane comes out and and is uh is is talking to himself with the old oh, guy he has got the head of the um
1: yeah the, he's got the head of the, you know, uh, the, the the
2: robot German lady who was knitting that uh yeah but that's yeah. cool that and
1: effect. that is that is the moment where we finally know whether or not these are robots or humanoids, and they're they're clearly robots aren't they and that's this where he starts to divulge basically his sinister plan and he talks yeah. about
3: oh, well and then take him into his yeah, land yeah well. he talks
1: about how you know, the interior was easy, but the exterior was was difficult, and it's taken years to perfect.
0: The surprising thing is that the internal components were quite simple to produce, really. The outer features took much longer to perfect, but then, of course, in the end, it's just another form of mask-making.
3: Well, this is where I thought, again, coming into this quite blind, that they were trying to make some sort of uh, tangible link into Michael Myers and Halloween that he was one of the robots from silver shamrock Hmm. i think
2: actually uh oddly the only the only thing that actually survived of of halloween 3 in the sort of dna of the later sequels probably becomes more apparent in uh five sort of six definitely which is the idea of it being um uh like pagan pre-christian cult by by halloween six um Hmm. You find out that the reason why Michael can't be killed is that he is under the spell of a pagan cult, which keeps resurrecting him, and only Paul Rudd okay can break that cult up. <laughs> Paul Rudd is in Halloween Six.
1: Paul Rudd, yeah, is in it. you know, yeah, you need to go back it's and see that one. Bullshit, oh, but no, no, no. <laughs> I
2: would recommend it. The Halloween Six is is <laughs> uh, is is where it completely lost it.
1: Can we talk about uh, Doctor Evil's? layer because i was i i was thinking about uh, it's clearly yeah. it's clearly a bond villains layer um mm. they've well, it's the first time we're in a studio yeah and, it, we're, and that's, well. that's 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 my actual big issue with it is it 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 feels like the space that they could get cheap so they were like we'll, we'll use it and i don't think they had the budget to fill
3: it so it really does feel
1: mm. bare bones
3: but fair play, uh, fair play to Kundi. He does his best to set it up. Yeah, yeah. it's a really nice yeah. introduction, uh, establisher, which is, is, tracking. It's up on high, on the level of the stairs. It comes down, and then I think, I'm assuming, that they step off with handheld camera to go into coverage. And it's, it's, it's a good. Um, he does his best. I yeah. Say. Well,
1: this is where uh, having a B movie with a relatively small budget, having a, a really good cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, well, hmm. it's it's invaluable at this point. And, you
2: know, we've already harped on about it a lot, but this score is selling so much. Oh, yeah. This. No, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, remove this score, and a lot of this film suffers in its pacing and in its editing, because we haven't really talked about Tommy Lee Wallace's direction, because it's quite... It's competent enough, although we'll get into some shots uh, further on in the third act that just seem quite sloppy uh, and And not very well executed, but he's he's not very visually engaging he doesn't he puts the camera where it needs to be mids close and 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 sort of far away establishing shots, but there's nothing there's nothing there to really grab you, yeah, but Cochrane is selling this as well, right, but what I do like Devlin, is his explanation of how they got Stonehenge. It's in Northern California.
0: Stonehenge. (laughs) We had a time getting it (laughs) here. You wouldn't believe how we did it.
2: (laughs) I don't need to. I don't need to know how an evil, uh, an an evil, possibly ancient warlock got a stone. I just assume he did. I will ask uh, why they're still chipping away at lumps of it on the day of Halloween.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, again, I think they had to fill the and space. And also
2: why they had so, so many leftover discs. If if they weren't doing that, and if there weren't still masks being made in the factory, nothing would be happening in the background of any of these scenes. Yeah, no, absolutely, so absolutely. It would be horrendously boring.
1: Can we go to test room A? Probably the most yeah. memorable scene in the film. So we have the know. setup of Cochrane is he's telling Dr. Chalice his whole sinister plan. He's trying to show him. And like we said, we maybe he just he couldn't couldn't hold it in and wanted to wanted to tell him for his persistence as as he investigated uh the Silver Shamrock Company. And we see them watching the monitors. The family, Buddy's family, uh are in this kind of made up set family environment. And again, this is hopping onto the themes, and they put on the advert. The little ginger kids got the mask. It's time, it's time, time for the uh, This is away. just the same old stuff.
0: Lucky kids with silver shamrock masks, gather round to TV set. Put on your masks and watch.
4: Honey, don't get too close.
0: You'll ruin your eyes. Soul, jack-o-lanterns, gather round and watch. Watch the magic pumpkin. Watch.
1: This kill, John Carpenter, is not, uh, is not one to shy away from uh, from shock. And he's done this in the past, right? Assault in uh, Precinct 13. Yeah. You remember the scene where the kids just get an ice cream? Boom, dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they are not afraid to kill children because normally rule in certainly American films is to, is to you know, no kids, no dogs. Well, well,
3: this scene caused the MPIA a few problems as well and they had to, I think the filmmakers had to agree with slight cuts because it was that heavy. Just to get it down to an R, <laughs> or else it would have been <sighs> banned. It wouldn't have been allowed to have been screened.
1: It's it's pretty shocking, isn't it? The
3: yeah, mask, it's good, it's a good crushing.
1: One. Uh, it's a really nice practical effect. I think the kid sells it as well. And then yeah. we linger, right? We linger on the mask, and this is where we're going to mm. maybe discuss our theories as to how the laser creates <laughs> these insects and snakes that come out <laughs> of the mask. Because I I just took it as some form of like teleportation from. Back whence.
2: Yeah, it's it's a witch. It's a witchcraft thing, isn't it? He's a witchcraft, <laughs> yeah, an isn't ancient, it? <laughs> he's an ancient pagan. I mean, it's the yeah. season of the witch. Connell <laughs> Cochran talks about you know the old country and the old ways and stuff. I mean, I feel like the yeah. film
1: should have should have dropped the "it's the season of the witch" line yeah. so we could get. It right. is an odd
3: <laughs> subtitle, but also just anyone listening, if you are going to watch this. Um, enjoy it but make sure you watch the full version and not the UK edit because for me I hadn't seen Marge's death with the insect I had no idea that's what the lasers were going to do so I just thought it just mauled her and then all of a sudden I've got this this ginger kid who gets killed when there's snakes and there's insects and stuff there's no there's no uh, link between the two deaths for me for that edit, so it was really confusing when I was watching it. So I thought, well, there's a laser that moles are there's you know I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. But... Yeah, it makes it all seem a bit random. Yeah, but the snakes
1: and the insects. I mean, they hold on that shot, and you can see uh, the eye through the mask. Mm. It's pretty mm. horrific.
3: Uh, the stuff coming out all of all the that mouth dist- is really yeah, the snake comes disturbing.
1: Yeah. And then those snakes and those insects well uh, kill Buddy and his wife. Well, yeah, his it's... wife
3: just just faints, and then we. Oh, just... and then we see it. We see a snake, snake
1: biter. Um, I think I, I think I missed that.
3: As well.
2: but... the, oh no, the the snake definitely uh, bites the husband on the leg. On yeah, it's quite cool. I I don't know whether we see. Yeah, I don't know whether we see her. Actually... There's a
3: snake like writhing on her neck while she's passed out. Yeah, but true. I I think we're supposed to. Assume she's dead. Yeah, the and snake again, bite of this... the leg though was quite—I I quite liked because I oh, know it's uh, well done. Mm, really yeah, well it's, done. it's a cool trick, and it it convinced me. You know, it's good.
1: But again, we're we're into this this whole. I mean, look at the setting. Look at the the family dynamic. I, I was thinking, are they just trying to? It's not just that they the film hates kids or the filmmakers hate kids. Is this a case of uh, the kids suffering from the sins of their parents? Is that is that what Tommy Lee Wallace? is driving at because that, I, that was the only thing that I couldn't really work out exactly with all the commercialization of Halloween with Cochrane's uh, pontificating about his, his whole plot, which is not, it's not very well established. Uh, what was the original intention of the filmmakers with regards well, I to think, the um, overall theme?
2: I think, I don't know about like whether he's trying to drive it at some prescient point, but certainly um, Cochrane's speech after this to, to, Dr. Dan uh, talks about the last great Samhain or Samhain Hmm. uh, was 3,000 years ago and that the hills ran red and it was, you know, human sacrifices and human sacrifices generally are the innocent i.e. the children Um, and that, you know that the planets were in alignment (laughs) and it's time, that's all the explanation we get
0: Halloween The festival of Samhain The last great one took place 3,000 years ago When the hills ran red With the blood of animals and children Sacrifices part of our world Our craft Witchcraft To us it was a way of controlling our environment It's not so different now it's time again. In the end, we don't
3: decide these things, you know. The planets do. I don't know. As motives go, he's far-fetched. But it makes you hate him. He wants to kill kids. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so.
1: And uh, what, I, what I will say is, Devin, you've been bigging up Tom Atkins all film. His reaction when... Well... <laughs> Kids, and he lifts up his two fists. I will give you this. It made me laugh very loud. It was, do you remember the Future Armor episode where he's like, Robot House? Yes. <laughs> I can imagine that he was like, This is the moment in the film where I get to really shine. It's brilliant. <laughs>
3: Cochrane! <laughs> Corey! <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> it's definitely his
1: con moment, isn't it? It's great.
2: But I will say, um, what I like about his explanation and what I like about what he talks about that, you know, that it's uh, the feast of Samhain and it used to be, you know, the old pagan New Year and, and that you know it used to have uh real significance in the pagan calendar. I like that this is a Halloween film that is completely about Halloween. Mm, yeah. There are so many Halloween like horror films or horror movies that have become Halloween staples where even Halloween 1 and 2 takes place on Halloween because it's a cool and interesting time to set a
3: slasher film. But it's not intrinsically tied into the the holiday at all. And, and he says, doesn't he, Cochran, you don't know much beyond Halloween.
2: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. There are very few films which are Halloween, Halloween staples that are actually where that's that's such a, an integral part of it. I can think of like this: uh, trick or treat, and I don't know, hocus pocus. Yeah, there's not much else out there. Um, so I like that about it, and I like that you know that even though they're just hinting at it, and they're just, it's it's kind of contained within one speech.
3: It's still, um, it's still there. But that that goes back to what we were saying before about it, it was quite bold to uh, change up. We, you know, use the same title, but change up the kind of direction of the series. Thank you, Jamie lucas and you know take away from Michael Myers and yeah, concentrate on Halloween itself. I do admire it for that aspiration yeah
1: no you've got it you've got to admire the filmmakers you've got to admire Deborah hill and John carpenter for mm. for thinking. We don't want to just do something that's rote. And and look at John Carpenter's work. He's always someone that tries to subvert our expectations in some form. I mean, even something like Big Trouble in Little China, he, he's taken a premise where you go, well, you have a normal white male protagonist, but actually the film is really about the fact that the, there's a role reversal going on and Kurt Russell is the side character and his Asian compadre is actually the protagonist. That is something that John Carpenter does. And with this film, he's he's doing it again. I just feel like and I'll keep saying it, that it's just the execution of this idea is where it's really lacking. And uh, and that's yeah, I mean, I'm not giving away my summary, but that's kind of where I'm sitting even now an hour and 10 minutes into the film. Oh, well, we get a montage of uh, different shots just so we can understand the scale of yeah. this uh, this practical joke that Cochran's going to pull. It's
2: really beautiful shots in there, right?
1: Yeah, they're beautiful shots. And again, you've got to give credit to Dean Cundy because they're 100% all shot in California. But he does a good job of trying oh, yeah. to make yeah. them seem like that's in Phoenix and that's on the East Coast and... Yeah, yeah, I really he, he like a that good job.
3: section. Uh, that, it
1: really, that really... There's some lovely
3: silhouettes mm. going on in the skylines. It's nice. That
2: shot, yeah, with the the kids marching over the hill in their little costumes. Mm. That's the one they use on the poster. And it's it, beautiful.
3: It's nice to give a bit of scope as well, you know, just to make it a bigger picture thing. It, it's, it comes a bit late in the film, but yeah, it, it is good to give that.
1: Can we go straight to Dr. Love's awesome, awesome mask flip? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes <laughs> I'm gonna set the scene. So Chalice is in a chair. He's tied up pretty good actually.
3: Is it a chair? It's like a trolley mm. thing, isn't it? Like, it's
1: like a like a Hannibal
2: Lecter thing, but it's also but it's yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: You're absolutely right. And uh they're gonna they're basically gonna do uh the same trick on uh Dr. Chalice as they've done with the family. So they're gonna play the advert and he's he's placed a mask on his head. He manages to wriggle out of it. <laughs> He gets the mask in his hand, but there's a security camera in the room quite a distance away, as they establish.
2: At ceiling level as
1: well. He is tied up (laughs) still, and he's got very little uh, wrist movement.
3: His hand's tied by his waist. He has no leverage on it at all.
1: But he manages to. Uh, he ma- I mean, this is you know for an audio podcast, this is not great. So you need to watch this. But he manages in one sh- in one shot to get the mask on the camera, and it's absolutely brilliant.
3: His throwing <laughs> technique reminds me of Uncle Rico in the pony <laughs> of dynamite when he throws that s- that steak. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know what uh, visual reference I had? Uh,
1: old lady at the end of Titanic who jumps the little the heart of the ocean in the water. <laughs>
3: Oh, that throw! And he perfectly covers the yep. camera. Oh, it's amazing. Unlike uh, unlike the producers of
1: Alien Resurrection, um, they didn't say that that Tom Atkins did this in one shot. Uh, it, I think it took them forty takes to get the mask on the camera. But you know what? I'm glad they got it, and then glad they kept it in the film. It made me laugh. So
3: funny.
2: Um, and and that's it. Then he's out. And he's straight on the phone to his uh, his ex-wife. It gets easy, yeah, he gets that very Yeah, Jimmy's the the vent open, and then he drops into somewhere where there's a phone, and he manages to call his wife. And she immediately accuses him of being drunk. And the first thing he says to her, "Shut up,
4: shut up, oh, you yeah. yeah. he- shut, shut,
0: shut up, shut, Linda, shut. Listen, listen, I have to get rid of the mask." I mean? I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm meant listen. You have to get rid of the mess. Just. Me to... just Linda. Linda,
4: uh, Lin, listen.
1: But again, there's a missed opportunity because we've set him up as being this raging alcoholic or if not an alcoholic, he does like himself a drink at the beginning of the film. And it doesn't really pay off. I mean, that is that is the only time he references drinking.
3: It doesn't go anywhere.
1: And then and then after that, um, he's he's out to get Ellie, isn't he? I mean, he hasn't forgotten that sweet bit of ass that he was shagging earlier. (laughs) So he's going straight. He's going straight for Ellie, who uh, throughout the later part of this film has just been. Uh, sort of tied up on a table yeah. uh, but we've not really seen her um and we'll find out what happens to her later on when we get to that scene, but he then manages to grab her right yeah. and then they escape yeah and then they they run back into uh
3: back when he grabs a and then he he goes back into the monolith room
2: uh in order to avoid detection, they hide behind a <laughs> rack of masks and like <laughs> scooby do their way across. <laughs>
1: Oh, he does. He does the Pierce and in GoldenEye, doesn't he? Yeah.
3: (laughs) Little feet underneath it. (laughs) But then he gets the chips, doesn't he? And because he's seen how they killed the ginger kid, he turns on all the TVs, sets it all up, and then in no time at all gets up to the rafters and rains down on them. Yeah. Everyone gets sparkled to death. I'd, but then that leads us nicely, and I'd like to talk about Cochrane's demise. Should we call it? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we don't really know what he is. Whether he is a spiritual being, is he human?
3: We don't really know. I quite liked his his death, his ending. It was really obscure and interesting. There's yeah. got, he's got that nice sinister clap because he's been thwarted, so to speak, or he's impressed with um, with Chalice. Yeah. <laughs> He's impressed with his mask flipping skills. <laughs> and then he just, whoa, what does he do? Dis-
2: disappears into the ether. He turns into a kind of crystal statue with the beatific expression of the um auto the inflatable autopilot from Airplane.
1: <laughs> yeah, he does Tony. Do Do you think that the monolith absorbed him? That's what I that's what I took. Because he talked about right. particles, doesn't he? And I, I, that's mm, why I think yeah. he's almost yeah. ghost-like. Yeah, that's what I took it as.
2: Yeah, just an odd way to dispatch your uh, your lead villain, mm. which is cool.
1: It's um, it's all very quick as a conclusion. He escapes with Ellie. Another plot hole. Um, so she was complicit this whole time. So, uh, reveal spoiler: uh, Ellie is actually. Now a robot.
3: Well, she she attacks him in the car and the drive. Yeah, train. so
1: she attacks him in the car as they're trying to drive back into town to warn everybody. Again, it's quite a fun scene. This is prior to Evil Dead, and you've got to think that, that Sam Raimi and the, those filmmakers maybe saw this scene.
2: Yeah, it just keeps coming at him.
1: Yeah, she attacks him. She, uh, the car crashes. Her arm's like pinned to the door. Then he... And he goes round and that attacks him. The,
3: yeah, the body attacks him. And... There's a great shot of her on the floor as well, with a head separate from the body, and she's blinking. And I do like that. You know, these simple little effects like that that just look cool. Um, and showing off special effects, which is gr- why not? You know,
1: well, it's it's one of the big selling points for these types of films. Once again, I'll, even in the first Evil Dead, with um, I think he named Linda's head is on the floor, and it's done very, very similar. Yeah, so yeah. You know, you've got to think that they saw Season of the Witch. He then gets back to the gas station. My favorite gas attendant is there. And, and Devlin, <laughs> do you want to explain what Dr. Chalice does? Because out of the three of us, you work in, in sort of, not advertising, but you place adverts onto channels. I do, yeah. Have you ever had someone ring up and just say, can you pull the advert?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, no, we do. Actually, we've had a, I mean, we have a lot of this kind of stuff from the um, public. There's a yeah, there's an email address. Uh, when I used to work over at um, insert large satellite broadcaster here, <laughs> we can just say it. I used to work for Sky, and we had this email address where um, people could. Uh, it, the idea was that it's supposed to be what we call the emergency transmission change. Oh, okay. So, uh, which I've heard if, of actually yeah if if a um a massive uh, uh catastrophe happens or if somebody very prominent dies there would be something like this which would be there to make sure that we weren't doing anything insensitive cuz you know the the last thing cuz an advert just an advert so the last thing you want to do is actually do anything insensitive um we we've had a few of these <laughs> um a lot of crazy people have this email address and we don't know how uh, I do remember getting a very, very furious email from uh, uh, an angry Everton fan a few years ago, who was who was uh, was furious that uh, a, a Sky Sports commercial was was featuring Steven Gerrard too prominently, <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted it taken off air. He kept referring to him as Slippy G because it was the season when he fell over and cost him the title. That's brilliant! Oh my god.
3: It, um, and I, but, I imagine um, it's kind of you have to reply to. These.
2: We did not have to reply to Slippy G. Oh, no. very good.
1: Well, do you want to explain what Doctor Chalice
3: is, is
2: doing? Because
1: he's he's got to the gas station. He's he's told yeah. the gas attendant, "I need to use your phone again," uh, and then yeah, he's 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 ringing up the the local or the regional uh, TV stations, right? Trying to get the adverts pulled. Yeah.
2: Well, he's he's having all, he's calling all three networks, which means he's probably oh. going to the actual the The physical transmission tower if we're in a film where a guy stole a hinge and then chipped bits of it <laughs> and then put it in masks and then a mask <laughs> made a snake come out of a kid's mouth um let's just assume there's a phone number that you call to make telly stop being on
1: yeah
3: yeah wow. I think I think you uh, could and also able... let's assume that children would seemingly drive themselves to a gas station for trick or treat <laughs> no they're, in the middle they're of just nowhere. Going... <laughs> Yeah, they go and trick or treating at the terrifying
2: gas station with the Ruby really shifty attendant. <laughs> every and at nine PM, every parent oh, on earth would allow their children to do that, surely.
1: You know what's even better is that um oh, for God. for all of the redemptive scene of of Chalice trying to save the children and and the world, he doesn't give a shit about those three kids in the gas station. No, he doesn't oh, tell those three kids specifically <laughs> to take their take masks, the off. masks
3: off. Take the masks <laughs> off.
1: But this is this is his big scene, right? Stop, stop it, it, it!
3: Stop it! Stop, stop it! Stop it! Stop it!
2: That's what he uh, he signed on my picture for me. It's, it says,
3: "Well, stop to it,
2: Chris." It says to Chris, and then he's written in increasingly large silver letters over the photograph, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" Oh, Tom brilliant! Eckers. I love
0: Dark gather your TV set, Put on your masks and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third gather commercial, it's still on. please. Take off the third object. channel, the third channel is still running. Stop it, please. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to s- please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off.
4: Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it! Stop it. Stop
3: it. Stop it. Stop it! so I, like, I i thought he did alright on the phone actually performance wise i thought that was his strongest yeah. scene
1: yeah yeah no i think
3: you i think yeah, you're he really right sells i mean he's... the kind
1: of terror of it yeah and and we are i mean this is a this is a downer of an ending and again another brave yeah. another brave choice i feel like it's we're good. really presaging
2: um the uh the sort of the the middle to later run of uh of john carpenter's kind of classic run of films in that it got more and more apocalyptic as he kept going so when Mm. you get to like Mm. mouth of madness and prince of darkness both of those essentially end with you know the end of the world
1: yeah yeah and this is sort
2: of the first time again like we said it's not a carpenter film but it's a it's a carpenter production and he had a hand in it from the start and yeah, it's kind of—it's the first time he—he uh, he basically destroyed civilization.
1: <laughs> well, and that's it, right, guys? That's the end of the film. So he managed to get uh, two out of the three stopped, but yeah, the adverts ran and the world is over. Uh, it kind of leads into this whole big question of what was Cochrane's plan all along? Was it to turn the kids into mush and then have get robots, or was it just to play a practical joke? But that's a question that I think people will be more than over for centuries to come. <laughs> I have a, I have a more important question and it's for you, yeah. Devlin. did you waste your time? <laughs> Would you recommend Halloween three season of the witch to the listeners of the show?
2: Did, I did not waste my time watching uh, Halloween three season of the witch. <laughs> uh, as, as I stated upfront for all of the weird baggy flaws of this film, I think that the flaws in the film are the things that make me love it. I think it's a, a, a very strange little concoction. Nothing else has ever really come out that's been like it. It's got atmosphere to spare. It's it's got uh, it's got some wonderful elements sort of threaded through it. I, I I love that it's kind of scrappy and clumsy at the same time. Recommending it is is a strange one. I wanted you guys to watch it because you know I I, I was intrigued to see what you'd make of it all. I think it I think it's an amazing film to watch at Halloween. But I think the, it's going to alienate a lot of viewers who are not used to watching um, more more B-level horror. And that's what this is. I mean, the, when they talked about it becoming an anthology series, what we're looking at here is essentially like, um, it's like a script for an episode of Tales from the Dark Side or Tales from the Crypt or or even like a, a, a creep show segment, but kind of blown out to, to feature length. It's plot is essentially one giant plot hole. But, um, but you know, I, I would say if you can go along with, uh, with a bit of an open mind and, and just sort of relax into something, there's a lot to enjoy here. To which I now ask uh, both of you, let's start with you, Wags, why not? Um, okay. Did I waste uh, 93-ish minutes of your week? <laughs> And would you recommend this
3: film? I, I no, you didn't waste my time at all. Um, I actually, I realised how much I was quite enjoying it when we were talking about it. I, I found myself laughing throughout the film at the bits that I thought were pony and cu- lots of questions, and I was a bit confused because I had the UK edit, which, which, but I overall I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I enjoyed. Something different to what I was expecting because I was expecting Michael Myers, and I I don't think the film's great <laughs> Devlin, at all. I think I think a lot of it's very poor script wise, acting wise, plot. You know, there's a lot I didn't like because I don't think it's that good. But no, didn't waste my time. Uh, and I would recommend it. I think you touched upon this. I'd recommend it with. If you were having a Halloween night and you wanted to have some beers and food with some friends and have a laugh and have something on that's of interest, then, yeah, I would in that capacity. Nice. Gully, what about you?
1: I don't think I wasted my time. I think this one is a real study in failure, actually. And and there's some merit in that. Uh, I think the film, I totally agree with you, Patrick. There's there's some really sloppy writing. There's some really bad acting. The camera works good, but the shot selection, the editing, the pacing in the middle, Devlin, you referred to it, is is saggy. So there's loads of things to not to like. However, the one thing I really do like, and that's why I think it's a study in failure, is the idea. And I can, you've got to commend the filmmakers. You know, sometimes people, uh, it's easy to to have a go at studios and have a go at, you know, oh, it's just the same old thing they're pumping out with, you know, I've heard this argument with recent superhero films give the studio some credit they funded this they went out on a limb it didn't work they maybe underestimated their audience and 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 also i think horror moved and evolved from the first halloween you know friday the 13th was so so successful and actually the comparison between the two franchises they're not very similar other than just being slasher films if you watch the original halloween to the original friday the 13th it's a pale imitation of, of Halloween, Friday the 13th. But the thing that got the bums in seats was the kills. And actually, the original Halloween, there's way more deeper stuff to start unpacking. And we'll probably get into that uh, another time when we actually review that film. But this one, Halloween 3, is, is an opportunity to look at how sometimes these films fail. But it's a commendable mm. fail.
3: Yeah, I, I did I admire it, definitely, yeah. what it was, what it was trying to achieve. I'd rather something tried and failed rather than just yeah. go into from what yeah. I've heard from you Halloween six mode you yeah know, exactly exactly yeah,
2: that's, that's uh, studio madness like that that is once you get into right. Halloween's five six and resurrection you're just watching people like just churn them out and and you can tell like that <laughs> I think that's um I don't know whether this comes under this category, I guess it's personal tasting, but um when you look at like the quintessential like good, bad movies versus just bad movies um good, bad movies mm-hmm. uh take risks, people gave a shit when they were making them uh their choices are odd, but their choices are like their own choices, and this you know we can. We can disagree over the uh, the overall quality level. I, I mean, I'll agree that it's not a flawless masterpiece or anything, and there is a whole bunch <laughs> wrong with it. But I also I really think there's a lot of, of great craftsmanship involved in places.
1: Uh, so it leaves us now to ask our debutante, Hello. Sir Patrick Waggett, what will be <laughs> the next film as part of our throwback series here at the Rewind Movie Podcast.
3: Okay, I'm very excited to t- say, i went with the Halloween theme, of course. We're going to be watching 1987's The Monster Squad. Ah, oh, that's a great choice. Oh, interesting, and also topical. <laughs> exactly. You've, you guys have spoken about the Universal Monsters and everything. This is a film that I remember watching when I was about nine, nine years old, I think it's the first film I had a shandy to. because I, <laughs> I don't I, I seem to remember that very specifically and I, I loved it at the time and so I've gone back to revisit it and I'd like to discuss it with you well I'll
1: tell you what I'll also do then Patrick when we come to record the episode I will get myself some bash Shandy uh, as we talk <laughs> about it how's that
3: yeah that, that'll bring back the memories that would be
1: good I'll leave you all thanks for listening everybody Gally in Glasgow signing out
3: and
2: Devlin in London see you next time
3: I'm um, Wags from London, a uh, pleasure to be a part
1: of it, boys. Cheers. Hi, everyone. I've got a quick favour to ask. If you enjoyed the podcast, could you rate and review the episode on whatever platform you are listening to it on? More information about the podcast, check out rewindmoviecast.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. And let us know your thoughts on each episode. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.